In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Today, before I begin, I want to invite you, this is an ironic thing at the beginning of the sermon, to invite you to look into your bulletin. But I want you to look into your bulletin for this card that says, what was your first impression of Trinity? And on the other side, it says, what surprised you? Um, I would, we need your help. I would like you at some point to take time, please, today, to write down a response to either or both of those questions, and it would also be helpful if you would write your name on the card as well. There are pens at each aisle to assist you, and you can, um, we're, we're wanting some responses from you um, to incorporate in our messaging for um, various things that are coming up soon, and it would be very helpful to get your heartfelt feedback. Um, you can turn the card in with the collection plate when the offerings come forward, or if you need more time, um, Clarissa is in the art gallery, and um, after the service, you can leave it with her. But your feedback would be very, very important to us, and I'm grateful for your participation. Okay, now on to the sermon. The availability of instant information in our world leaves us bombarded with images. This week, we see forests, rainforests in Brazil on fire. We see it live right on our smartphone. We can check the price of stock in an instant. That might not be a good idea this week. Um, we, cheer, we cheer alongside fans when we watch sporting events on our 4K high-resolution TV screen. It's almost as if you're there. And we're also abruptly confronted by investigative reports that we'll watch sometimes that show refugees in distress or factory workers being abused or people in Hong Kong being pelted by police by tear gas, children here being incarcerated, other stories about people searching for freedom, people searching for a home. We see these struggles and these needs all over the media, and they affect our emotions. They, they disturb us, and sometimes they actually really hurt. We feel uneasy. We feel wounded by these events. Sometimes we, we're so wounded that we incorporate these like practices of custody of the eyes that when you're looking at your Facebook feed, you don't look at everything. You just kind of keep going and scroll down really fast so that you don't have to, or we just change the TV channel or turn the program off or if something's bothering us and it's too intense. Sometimes things are too painful to process in real time in the here and now. But we see, we see so much. And then we get into the real world. We go to work, we go to school. We go have coffee at Starbucks with friends. After work, we might go to take a walk in the neighborhood. We might play sports or we might go for a swim or go to the gym to do some exercise. At night, we might go to a concert or to a restaurant or a ball game or go out for drinks or we might hang out with people whom we love. All seem really good, pretty great. But you notice what we're not doing? When we're at home on our screens, on our computers or on our phones, we get bombarded by these disturbing images of poverty, of warfare, of disease, of people in distress, and we're hurt. But when we're out in the real world, we somehow and in some way have conditioned ourselves 
to only see the good things in our life. Yes, occasionally we might see things that bother us, like a bad car accident. But we rarely see the woman who got kicked out of her nursing home and has no family. Or the teen who's living out on the street because he doesn't li- they don't live at home anymore because they were expe- expelled from their parents' home because they were trans. Or the mom and the two kids whose husband gets deported, and so they're living in their car and trying to earn a living by cleaning, but they're making less than minimum wage. Or a couple of blocks away, the guy out in Hans Park who doesn't have the assistance or possibly is suffering from some type of mental disability to really know what he needs to do to take care of himself. We don't see those people. We somehow can and will when they're on our television or on our smartphone, but we don't always when we live in the real world living our lives. We shelter ourselves. But Jesus saw the woman. Jesus saw a woman who was hunched over there. The woman who couldn't even look him in the face because she was bent over. Jesus saw the woman. The same woman who had been there practically his entire life. He saw her inability to move about freely in her society. He knew who she was by her posture. Confined in her condition, she was bound by her ailment, and Jesus saw her. And because Jesus saw her, he healed her instantly. Not after expecting something from her, not after requiring belief, not after making sure she had the favor of all the people. No, he healed her instantly and set her free to live and move and breathe, to claim new opportunities in life and to tell others about a God that has a new way of loving and living. Jesus set her free. This freedom, this freedom cost Jesus something. It cost him his good standing with the religious leaders who wanted him to wait a day. The Sabbath was holy. Why not wait? But Jesus teaches that even the leaders of the assembly allow their animals to go out and get water on the Sabbath. If even our animals can be offered water on the Sabbath, how in the heck should this woman who has waited 18 long, painful years How and why should she have to wait one more day? Why should she have to wait? The Sabbath is a gift. Jesus knows this. The Sabbath is a gift, a gift from God, a call to rest and restoration. Jesus knew the commandments. He knew the intent behind the commandments, too. The Sabbath call from God to make one day holy is a day to rest and restore ourselves from a busy life, from our busy lives that that our busyness that sometimes we're so busy that we get tunnel vision, busyness that sometimes makes us keep our nose buried into our screens or keeps us pounding the pavement looking for something that we don't even know what it is. The Sabbath tries to direct us, to liberate us, to give us new sight. It is not 
meant to confine us. It is meant to refine us. To refine us and make us to be able to have those eyes like Jesus to see the needs of the world right as it is right now. Jesus saw the woman in the room. He saw her needs and healed her. And his healing, even on this holy Sabbath day, opened the eyes of those attending. He opened their eyes to the fact that God's created world works better, works better when we immerse ourselves in God's presence and let the divine see us and in turn help us to see the needs of others so that we can always know and expect God to help us to be healers, to help us be the peacemakers, to help us be the salt of the earth and the light of the world to our communities everywhere. The images we see around us in the media demoralize us. The news nowadays hurts when we see it. But what are we not seeing? How are we not seeing? Why are we not seeing? Did you know that according to KTAR radio, Phoenix has been hit the second hardest out of the whole country by extreme poverty, extreme poverty. In 2015, these stats are a little old. In 2015, 14% of Americans lived in poverty compared with 12% in 2009. Phoenix, the metro area, stood at a whopping 17%, higher than the national average by a lot, equating to over 737,000 men, women, and children, of which 176,000 people in Phoenix live in extreme poverty. That sounds high to me. Isn't the economy good? I question these statistics. So I went to another source. I went to ASU and looked up some of their databases, and they cite the U.S. Census Bureau. Then it's newer statistics. They reported that the state of Arizona poverty rate, the statewide poverty rate, dropped last year from 17% to 15%, meaning that 88,000 people rose out of poverty pretty good. But almost one million, one million remain. The Phoenix metro area still has one of the highest poverty rates in the United States. Only a handful, we're talking maybe four or five other cities have higher poverty rates than us. Most in the West. But Phoenix as a major city, still has one of the highest poverty rates in the U.S. Trying to grapple with this information and these numbers, I realize I do not see. Jesus saw the woman in need, but I am failing to see. I see some, but not a lot. Even when I go out volunteering in the community with ICM or with Garfield School or some of our other ministry partners at Grace Lutheran, walking around our neighborhood, meeting people by name in the park or people who even live outside of our parking garage, I personally feel like I do not see. Not like Jesus sees. Hopefully someday I can. Our call, then, 
is to let Jesus see us so that we can be recipients of his grace and forgiveness. This isn't about failure. This is about receiving grace and forgiveness. So instead of failing, we can see. We can be able to see the women and the men who are in need and see them like Jesus sees. And to see those reports on TV that disturb us and to hear the love of Jesus call us to refuse to be complacent, to refuse to do nothing, to refuse to sit idle, because our love for God and for our fellow human beings is simply too great not to do anything. We are all called beloved when we are seen by Jesus. We're all called beloved, and we know this. So how can we sit on the sidelines when others are being mistreated and being called anything but beloved? We cannot. We must act. We must be Christians and agents of Jesus Christ right now. We cannot call today holy and dismiss the need. We must begin to know that Jesus saw the woman so that we can see too so that we can see people in our neighborhood, maybe outside our work, those people outside of Starbucks, outside the concert hall downtown, the people in front of the Safeway too. Jesus saw the woman, Jesus sees us. He sets her free and seeing us, he sets us free too. And when we start letting Jesus see us, we start letting Jesus free us. We start acting like him. We start seeing things like he does and start freeing others too like he does. We begin our own direct engagement with the sacred. We bring Christ's healing and holiness into the world through our gifts. We channel the power of the love of God Almighty, and we become the miracle workers of our age. Each one of you, you know we have gifts that we can turn into miracles. You and I each have a spectacular love inside of us, ready to impart to others. We each have our own unique blessings to bless the world, not to give up and walk away, but to bless the world. It starts by seeing today, right now, and healing today, right now.